Uh, this is Lindsay Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, December the 7th. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about the election of Frank Scott Jr. as Little Rock Mayor, shakeup in the Youth Services Division, and several other odds and ends, perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm joined once Who again can tell? by Benjamin Hardy. Hello, Benji. Hello, Lindsay. How are you? I'm fine. Okay, great. So, big news of the week. Certainly in Little Rock, Frank Scott Jr. has become Little Rock Mayor. He made history as the first uh, popularly popularly elected uh, black mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, there were several others, but they were appointed. Uh, city directors were appointed back when when uh, we had a more worthless version of the mayor. Um, <laughs> Care to elaborate on that a little? Uh, well, uh, for a long time, mayor was kind of a figurehead position at Little Rock. Mm-hmm. It had no real duties. Uh, and then we moved um, to a full-time mayor role with, um, you know, good pay and, and actual responsibilities, though still in this um, bifurcated city government uh-huh. situation where you have a city manager who does much or all of the administrative work and and the mayor who... Um, you know, I don't know all of the mayor's actual duties. I mean, it's I, still, I still remain. It still is a, a bit of a figurehead confused. position, but it it is. Uh, in the last twenty years, it became fifteen, maybe, maybe even ten, right. became more of an actual position. Uh, Scott has said late in the campaign that he he wanted to be a strong mayor to have. Uh, all of the city administrator, the city manager's responsibilities, and is going to push for that as soon as possible. He said on election night that he would, he'd be pushing the city board to make the changes, and if they wouldn't go along with it, he'd push for a referendum. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, there was this interesting exchange between him and Baker Curris way back in I don't know October sometime at I think the last of the forum sponsored by the library system in which <clears throat> Baker was sort of insisting that that you don't need um, to make the structural change, that that the law as it's written provides for the mayor to, to sort of take the reins and you just need a strong personality who's willing to get in there and do it and treat the job as if they're really you know the CEO uh, in a way that Mark Stodel did not do. And <clears throat> I was never sure you know, exactly what Baker's angle was with that, other than I think that he probably just saw this you know, effort to, to overhaul the form of government as being a distraction or like, you know, not just something that he kind of wanted to not talk about. Um, and, and Frank you know, made it clear that at that event that, no, he thinks you really do need to change the structure of things. And so did Warwick Saban for that matter. But like that you know, as it stands now, the system's just sort of too inherently convoluted and, and the lines of authority are, are just so unclear that you have to have um, a, a, a more, uh, have to have an overhaul of the way that the, that the government is structured. Okay, well, maybe we can talk more about that in a moment. Let's talk a bit more about the election. So uh, Scott won pretty soundly. Um, Curtis con- conceded uh, before any of the election day votes were in, uh, only the early vote, which which Scott won handily. Um, the margins closed a bit, but still it was uh, Scott uh, winning 58%, 41%. Um, at Scott's 
victory celebration. You know, he he started he started it off in a um, uh, you know in, embracing the diversity of Little Rock, and his campaign has always been about unification. And he shouted out, you know, every race, every culture, every faith, every sexual orientation, every gender identity. Um, in his initial remarks, he's a pastor. He also um, sounded like a pastor in his right. victory speech. Right. Uh, he, he quoted from the Book of Esther. Um, I, I think the message was the time is now to step up. Right. In, in that passage, uh, he also said, you know, that the campaign was about securing our communities, uh, making Literac safer. And making certain that we get our school board back yesterday, so mm-hmm. uh, it will be interesting to see the the steps that he takes toward those goals. Um, the biggest uh, issue, uh, as far as public safety goes, of course, is um, hiring a new police chief. Uh, that search is ongoing right now. It's in City Manager Bruce Moore's court. I mm-hmm. imagine that Scott will try to insert himself in that. He said he would. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in in the early going, um, and then uh, as far as schools go, what you know the as we've discussed a lot on the podcast and on the blog and the paper, Mayor Stodola and the city board have been largely silent on, um, or at least late to to uh, advocating for Little Rock getting its school district back. And so, what what will Scotts I mean, he, uh, you know, as we often pointed out, he has no. I mean, the mayor can't do anything about right about schools. This is a, a state issue, but um, what's he going to? You know, what what kind of positions is he going to take? Where is he going to be? And all that will be interesting to see. Right. Yeah. I mean, and this is, I think, where uh, part of why you know where you do come back to this issue about like what does the mayor actually do and and what does a different personality um, in that position um, do you know after so many years of seeing Mark Stodola in, in that position and and you know him perhaps not taking full advantage of of I mean him I mean Mark Stodola is really not a pushing the envelope kind of guy you know just 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 by his nature like him or not um, and you know I, I I think you know the number that I kept hearing was like what Frank Scott is 15 years younger than the next than the the youngest city board member well yeah but that that is actually misleading because the average age I think Max uh did it before he left is is 70 something I believe (laughs) and that's just so striking you know and 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 so this question of like if if the mayor is is continually if you have a mayor that is sort of pushing back against the board in some significant ways um what does that even look like you know, um, and I think the risk for Frank Scott is like if he he's he's you know making this appeal that he enters office with a strong mandate, considering the election results being I mean the margin being pretty strong, and um, him billing himself as this unifier, and he's he's trying to make a push for this major change right out of the gate, but. If he runs afoul of the board and it sort of founders, then what happens to him, you know, for the next four years? Right. Yeah. Well, and, and then there has also been a push um, among some sort of, I don't know how to describe them, not necessarily Scott's camp, but some, some kind of good government city folks who want to see 
the removal of at-large positions on the board, um, which are all held by uh, longtime white board members that are seen as, you know, more establishment leaning, um, and and move to all ward-based elections. So you expand and redraw the, or not expand, you'd redraw the board lines, and then you'd get likely a, a board that was more reflective of Little Rock's makeup. Right. So it'll be interesting to see where those efforts go. And, um, uh, you know, I, I don't see the current board voting to change. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the question is, like, what can – if you have this, this guy who's 35 years old and, you know, has some clear political talent, but – and um, you know, people like him clearly, but does he have the experience and the sort of uh, institutional knowledge, the organization to, you know, now translate this electoral victory into some sort of more concrete result, or is he going to be stymied by the same institutional inertia factors? I don't know. Yeah. Anything else we need to say about that? I think we can move on. Okay, let's move on. So Betty Gooman, director of the Arkansas Department of Human Services Division of Youth Services, DYS as it's known, announced that she would leave her position to advocate at the legislature on behalf of juvenile justice reforms that uh, she and Governor Hutchinson have been pushing for. Advocate uh, at the legislature is uh, language that, that they have used or would like to use. Essentially, she's going as a lobbyist um, when you work for a state agency, technically you cannot lobby. Mm, um, right. You're in government relations, but that's what she's going to be at the legislature trying to convince lawmakers to push through some changes and how the juvenile justice system works. Yeah, um, and I think there's there's two very distinct points to be made here that are um, you kind of got to hold in your mind at the same time. One is that the system very much needs reform, and there's been a history of sort of failed efforts to um, to push for that reform at the legislative level in years past. And there's this whole, you know, this very sordid story surrounding all of that about why efforts to reform Arkansas juvenile justice system have 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 not worked in the past. So, I mean, involving money and corruption. involving money and corruption, right? In fact, I mean, it appears that. Um, much of the corruption scandal that's ensnared all of these legislators and others this past, the past several years um, involving preferred family health care and others, like a lot of that may have been triggered or at least is tied in some ways to corruption um, that the FBI was investigating within the juvenile justice system um, and contractors involved in that system. Um, but anyhow, so, you know, the system is definitely in need of like of some statutory changes um, and so having somebody who's pushing for those changes is not in itself a bad thing. Um, the other side of that coin is this is another uh, person in a, a, who's uh, being hired uh, to at, at a, a healthy salary to sit at the Capitol and um, do what exactly? I don't know. Um, I mean, so... Do you have the figures on on the these other lobbyists that are also on the DHS payroll? Yeah, yeah I do. Uh, former state representative Jeff Williams from Springdale, who uh, had 
was the victim of the surprise upset by is it Megan Godfrey? Right. Yes, in Springdale. Uh, um, was hired just weeks ago as deputy chief of legislative affairs, making eighty nine thousand. His boss is former state rep Kelly Link, who resigned from the legislature to go straight to DHS to lobby, and he makes one hundred fifteen thousand dollars. Uh, Gooman will continue to make one hundred fourteen thousand, which is what she made as DYS director. So, yeah, this is this is where sort of legislators go to heaven. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? I just, it's just you know you can you can pay for a lot of caseworkers with that those that much money when you add it all together, um, and whether it's the best use of funds in a system that just seems so chronically dysfunctional in many ways to you know to to devote three um, staff positions to legislative affairs. I don't know. I mean, it kind of makes you wonder, like, why these are two branches of government that are, like, practically across the street from each other. Can they not just, like, you know, do they really need these liaisons? That's I true. I, well, I've, I, of course, agree. Although DHS is a huge agency that, you know, is filled with complicated policy and communicating that effectively is probably a challenge. Now, I don't think that should cost $350,000. Yeah, you know, and and so often when it comes to sort of second-guessing government, like the inscrutable actions of government agencies, then you get into this area where you're like, well, what do we really know about how that works? You know, I mean, I don't know how 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 many what kind of staff you need to to do that kind of work because I don't know I don't know much about that kind of work, but I mean, I know that in the past um you know, I mean, it seems like it's the job of the head of DYS to go to the legislature and explain what DYS is doing to legislators. So do you need a separate position to do that? Yeah. Well, we should note that Gooman is a longtime um, associate friend, ally of Hutchinson's. They were had were in business together when Hutchinson was lobbying way back in the day. They've mm-hmm. known each other for years and years. So uh, patronage may have some role in this. Uh, though, by all accounts, I mean, Gooman is really invested in juvenile justice. She's, yeah, she, she's she, been involved a long time and, and I suspect truly wants to see reform and, and you know, probably gone for this job to make sure that, you know, she's the one that's actually convincing lawmakers of the importance of this. Right. Yeah. You know, I, you know if, it, if it results in some solid legislation being passed, which I think there's a decent chance of something being passed, considering the governor's, you know, said it's a priority, um, then perhaps it's worth it. I don't know. Um, I think the bigger question, you know, with, with the juvenile justice system is like, are they going to invest the money into, uh, the, the governor said he's going to close down a couple of these, um, jails, these lockup facilities around the state. The question is like, are they going to invest that money in community-based services and so on that aren't really out there in a lot of communities or are they going to just invest it in the tax cuts um, like so many other places where they're trimming uh, money out of the budget yeah all right well, let's move on and hit one or two other items uh, late news today uh, education advocates uh, have sounded the alarm over the um, what what's the my mind has gone blank what do you call it uh, Waiver? Uh, not the waiver, but the board meet, agenda. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, the agenda for the State Board of Education meeting uh, meetings that are going to be held uh, next Thursday and Friday. Uh, I think that's December 13th and 14th. Um, at the very end of the Thursday session, there is a um, ex- extremely unusually vague item about um, 
waivers, uh, seeking a waiver of laws um, pertaining to the Little Rock School District. And there's no description of the particular waivers that uh, the state is seeking, uh, the state on technically on behalf of the district, which is unusual. And you can look through this agenda and, and see several other cases, including one from the LRSD, where X school district is seeking a waiver and then you click on an attachment and it explains exactly what what the district is seeking. In the earlier case, LRSD wants to change the the start and end date of school year for some athletic reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very mundane. Mm-hmm. Of course, the worry here is that um, the state is trying to screw the district in some way and, and more, most likely uh, is doing something related to the Teacher Fair Dismissal Act, which we've talked about a bunch um, in, in the last month or so. Um, of course, the district was negotiating a contract with the Little Rock Education Association, and at the last minute, uh, Education Commissioner Johnny Key, who acts as the school board for um, the LRSD, said he wouldn't agree to the contract unless the LREA um, agreed to uh, allow the Teacher Fair Dismissal Act, which provides basic due process rights for teachers, uh, to be waived at schools that received a D and an F in the newish school accountability grading system. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of back and forth. Uh, ultimately, the teachers with their you know, sort of were backed into a corner and agreed to a contract that that provides some due process protections, but also allows for a waiver and not just at DNF schools, but any schools. Right. So there's there's concern that Key, despite his earlier rhetoric that this is something needed in in DN in these twenty eight uh, so called failing schools. This is is an instrument that's needed to um, to get rid of efficiently get rid of some teachers that um, that he thinks are are underperforming um, in in just those schools that he might apply it to all district schools. Sure. So I mean, the, this is convoluted. The, <laughs> well, I think one thing that's important to say here so. The, the issue of waivers is is uh, it's something that is in a way bigger than than Little Rock. Bigger, it's this is, waivers have been used increasingly frequently um, from school districts around the state, and 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 there's it's in a way it's like one of these non ideological like this is like questions about like is this just kind of a bad clumsy way to run a government and a system here to have like sure because what uh, we're talking about are waivers from state law waivers from state law and and, and it's state, not regulation it's not just like arcane regulation it is their actual laws yeah I, I mean you know maybe the laws maybe these things shouldn't be laws if they're if you're going to be granting waivers that regularly like like maybe the law itself should be something more in the order of regulation that could be like bent a bit more easily rather than like just waving your hands at the the state board and saying well the law doesn't apply to uh whoever to um certain situations Blytheville or Helena West Helena and that they can hire non-certified teachers now or whatever the case may be 
you know, and, and the, the Teacher Fair Dismissal Act was always sort of a carve out to this waiver thing, saying that um, um, that was the, one of the few things that the state board could not waive when it came to education law. Um, this is sort of un, uh, for various reasons, like the laws have changed and, and Little Rock's in an unusual situation because of the state takeover. And so this would be really like a, a different order of waiver um, in some ways, you know, if they, if they do waive fair dismissal and strip these basic uh, labor rights from teachers. Right. Just like it would be a big deal if the, the LRSD waived teacher certification. Sure. I mean, that, that has happened in other public school districts, but uh, not in, in one like the LRSD. Okay, well, we'll, we'll stay on that. Um, we're probably out of time unless there's anything you're burning to talk about. <laughs> mm, no. We'll go to the blog. There's, there's many interesting stories. The Hoxie, the Hoxie Alderman situation. Yeah, <laughs> this hotel. Do, do just the, the 30 second elevator version of that. Uh, I, I, you know, the, the names escape me <laughs> because I have not studied up on my, my Hoxie municipal politics. But Lawrence County community of Hoxie, about 2,000, 2,500 people, uh, had a runoff election for a city council seat. Uh, one of the candidates, the, the challenger, was returning home from a vacation in Florida with his wife on the day of the runoff election. Their plane landed in Memphis too late to, for him to make it to the polls on Tuesday. Um, he had not early voted, though his wife early voted. Uh, <laughs> his opponent, uh, the incumbent, did vote. And the results of the election were a dead tie, 223 votes to 223 votes. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that... Uh, According to statute, I spoke to the county clerk in Lawrence County earlier today. Um, there now must be a draw. So there, what does drawing lots mean? Well, I, it just means like Straws? some sort of chance. You know, it could be. And she told me the county clerk told me you know, who is frankly like thinks the whole thing is hilarious. <laughs> uh, she said like, yeah, we've been figuring out what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to box each other. We don't know. Um, but she said like probably they'll just like flip a coin or they'll yeah they could actually draw straws. They could roll a die like. I don't know. It, it, it has to be something chance-based. It, it can't be guessing the number of jelly beans in a jar. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe, that's I don't, skill. There, there's probably – well, that's that's a question for, like, the the gaming regulators. Like, ask ask Oaklawn where the, the line lies between chance and skill. But um, I don't know. There's probably been litigation about that, like, about, like, what what drawing lots actually entails. Um Anyway, that sounds like a story for if, the Arkansas Times. If anyone is in Lawrence County at 11 a.m. next Thursday, you should drop by the County Election Commission and tell us how it goes. We'll deputize you as a reporter. Uh, okay, let's move on to endorsements. What do you got this week? Um, I, I don't know. Okay, well, I'll go and okay. you can think of something. This is not an original endorsement because if you care about this, you've probably already listened. But Serial Season 3 is great. I'm just now getting into really? it. Really? It's uh, it's all about the justice system and how it works or doesn't, and uh, it's it takes place in Cleveland in the I can't remember if it's called the Justice Building or Justice Center, but it's a a tall building where uh, the the city jail, the court system, the uh, the police headquarters. Um, the prosecutor's offices are all contained. And so um, Sarah Koenig, the host, and, and her team can kind of bounce in all those different worlds and, um, you know, 
gives some some great human stories about this complex system and and all the screwy parts of it. Hmm. Uh, and I think I'm midway through, and it's just a really rough section about a a child murder, and and the struggles of the the police and the community to to deal with it because of the don't snitch code mm-hmm. um, and she she really you know kind of interrogates that and why it exists and how people operate and people's individual code and it's so, so did you what did you think of season two the bird that was the bird Bergdahl thing right Bo Bergdahl yeah I mean it <laughs> sorry significantly uh, not as compelling as the first one but I mean, I liked it fine. Mm-hmm. I was into it all the way through. I was in, I didn't know much about Bergdahl. Um, you know, it was well done. I think you know, This American Life. Essentially, every week is is pretty good, and often is yeah. out of sight. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that serial is just like This American Life with way more money and time. And so, do I ever tell you about the time I talked to Sarah Koenig? No. Um, Maybe I'll I'll use my endorsement time to to tell you that story. May I? Please. Okay. Well, I almost um it was I think 2009 and my then girlfriend and I almost uh got a This American Life slot. We almost almost convinced her to fly to Little Rock and like produce this story. Um it was a good story, but uh, it was long before I was ever involved in journalism. We had we didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, we just uh, wanted to make this thing happen. Well, you also have a voice for radio, too. So. <laughs> well, not good enough, I guess. Because uh, they, so the story was that, um, and I'm still interested in this. <laughs> if anybody wants to wants to report it, but um, the town of of Delight, Arkansas, um, was attempting to dodge school consolidation um, as its enrollment shrank by importing all of these exchange students from various countries they were working with some unscrupulous recruiter who is like uh bringing in teenagers from south korea from brazil just from all over um like dozens and dozens of kids in this tiny school in i forget where that is somewhere like i don't know i mean it's like in the murfreesboro area it's like out in that sort of um you know blank spot on the map like south of hot springs and north of texarkana and um, you know, it had just been, I think, I forget who it was being consolidated with, maybe Arkadelphia, but like some larger neighboring district. And they were like right up against the line for multiple years and sort of out of desperation, some enterprising administrator made this, this, this crazy plan to just like truck in all these students from around the globe. And it worked for like a couple of years, I think, but I think eventually they were consolidated. So we, we went there, we talked to, we found like, you know, it's easy to spot like these kids who are from other countries like walking around town in in delight and we interviewed a couple of them and they told us some some sort of interesting stuff but the school administrators like shut us out pretty hard and this american life lost interest after an initial phone call initial phone call with the administrators or with you with me and me and my girlfriend talked to sarah canning um about about like we sent them a pitch and they were like yeah that sounds kind of kind of weird but we got to know more so we talked to her and she she said like go down there and just try to interview people and see what you can find and if you find anything good like I'll come I'll fly down there and help you guys with it and so we went down there but you know once again I mean I, we just didn't know anything about what we were doing so right. 
um, they lost interest. Wow, that does sound like a great This American Life story. <laughs> what could have been? I'm sold. All right, well, thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating or review, and make sure you check out our other podcasts. We've got a lot, including uh, Rock the Culture, who I think had an interview with, with the new mayor uh, not too long ago, maybe even this week, uh, arctimes.com slash podcasts. See you next time.